Let's just pray briefly. Father, we would indeed pray that you would uh, break up the hard and stony ground. Father, that indeed you would produce in us fruit day by day in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to take you back a couple of thousand years this morning. I want you to imagine a warm, sultry afternoon. It is afternoon because it's a time when Jesus uh, moves out of the town that he's been in, possibly Capernaum, but he's certainly been in a nearby town. He's had a really tough morning. He's been challenged as to his ministry, as where he came from. He's even been accused of working on behalf of Satan or the devil. And as it even appears his family, to some degree, have almost disowned him and think he's, he's gone a wee bit mad. And so he, he goes down to the lake, the shore of the Lake Galilee, and he climbs into a boat that's there, a fisherman's boat, possibly Peter's, we don't know. And I want you to imagine that picture of that scene. A crowd have gathered, they've gathered all day, they've been outside the house where he was. There were so many of them that he's had to leave that house, leave that vicinity, come down here, and he's now he's sitting in the boat. It's getting towards the evening. Perhaps the crowd presses in a little bit, but the hills around about make for a natural amphitheatre, so Jesus is able to speak and everyone is able to hear him clearly. Nearby, we could almost imagine there's maybe a farmer and he's out working. And he's out, and what's he doing? He's out working in the fields as farmers do. And Jesus begins to tell a story. And he begins to tell a story to everyone that's present. A story that's very familiar to us. A story that we often call the parable of the sower. I'd rather think of it this way. It's more the parable of the sower, the seed and the soil. You see, the sower is only a very small part of it. It's a bigger parable. There's a lot more to it than that. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to, uh, we're going to read through this together. It's found in Matthew uh, chapter 13, but I'm, you need to keep your Bibles open because I'm going to break it into three portions. And I want to look at the three portions independently, and they build a, a picture together as Jesus tells this story, as his disciples talk to him later, and as Jesus explains the parable to them. So let's read the, the first nine verses together then and, and think of uh, what they, they tell us about the parable. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So we have the parable then. Perhaps it's one that's very familiar with us. Uh, but there's something there I, I just want to, to focus on before we move on and, and read more. And it's, it was verse 9, He who has ears, 
let him hear. And this is one of the points of application I want to take out of this passage for us this morning. Uh, we'll come to look at a uh, bit more detail about the parable in a moment or two, but most of our Bibles don't really bring home the strength of the instruction that Jesus makes here in verse 9. Uh, he who has ears, let him hear. It's, it's more than that. It's an imperative. It's uh, an expression of, look, you, you've really got to listen to what I'm saying here. And you've really got to understand what I'm saying. That's the type of um, message that Jesus is trying to speak a, a, about here. And, and the English doesn't bring out the translation very well. The, the, the NLT puts it this way. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. You know, it's still the same message today, isn't it? When, when we speak God's word, when we talk about God's word, and, and uh, the parable, maybe like this one, is a very familiar one, and, and maybe we're tempted to, oh, well, I've heard this before, I'll sort of think about something else that's going to happen later on in the week, or, you know. And we, do, we don't focus on some of the truths. We miss out on listening clearly, and not only listening, but we miss out on understanding and trying to find out more about what the parable's teaching us together because uh, we don't really take time, as Jesus wants the people listening to do, to not just listen, but to listen and understand. In fact, Matthew actually, he, makes a, he underscores this point because if you're to read this parable in, in the other, in Mark or in Luke, and what you find here is Matthew changes things around slightly to help us fit in the overall pattern. The parable is told here. And the next thing that Matthew records is the disciples asking Jesus, why do you speak in parables? Well, you know, Jesus at this point has only told one parable. And during the course of this day, he's actually going to speak from the, from the boat three parables, and then later to his disciples, another four parables. And it's probable, and it's more likely that um, the disciples ask the question, why are you speaking in parables later on in the day rather than immediately after he has told this first parable? So really here, it helps us because that allows us then to look at why Jesus speaks in parables and helps us to really understand the points that Jesus is trying to get across. The disciples have listened to the parable, but they want to understand the parable. We listen, we read God's word, we need to want to understand it. We need to want to study God's word, and so that when we read it, we know what it's telling us, rather than just reading it or listening to it. So the disciples then, they approach Jesus to find out really a little bit more about what he's been teaching them. And he, they come to him and ask him. So let's read the, the next portion together from verses 10 down to 17 as we uh, think about the purpose of the parables. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. 
For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even from what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Yes, interesting portion. Matthew, in fact, records seven parables in this chapter that Jesus speaks. And I said that it looks like when he said them, he says to them, why do you speak to them in parable? And in answer to this question, Jesus in this portion that we've read together gives him two reasons why he speaks in parables. And the first one is one that we often maybe miss out on. But the first one is found in verse 11, where he says that he's going to let them know or to reveal the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. To reveal the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Now, the word secrets in the Bible doesn't mean something, I want to tell you a secret. It's not like that. It's not something, don't be telling anybody. It's not. A secret in this context is something that has never been told before. So it's, in some translations, you'll read it as the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. So what we're finding out is that this is something that God has not revealed before to his people. And the topic, the subject that he's going to reveal something about is the kingdom, God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Matthew uses this phrase a lot. And then, as well as that, there's another point as well. He picks up, Jesus picks up on the fact that, look, you've come to me and you've asked me what the parable, why do I speak in the parable? You, you want to know about it. And Jesus picks up on the fact that not only have the disciples listened to the parable, but they want to understand it. And so the second reason that he, tells, he says that he spells in parable is that he, he wants to get them to understand the need to know what the parable is teaching. And to do this, he quotes from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 to 10. And what he's saying here is that when he speaks in parables, he's fulfilling a prophecy that was made in the Old Testament. And the thrust here is complete contrast to the disciples' position. They have listened to the parable and they want to find out about it. But in these verses in Isaiah that are quoted, and as Jesus quotes them again here, he really brings off across the fact that most of the people that are listening don't really, they, they hear what's being said, but they're not really that interesting in finding out what it means and what it means specifically for them. 
And he quotes this parable that talks about the fact that, you know, you will indeed hear but never understand, see and never perceive, because these people's hearts have grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. Their eyes are closed, lest they should see. Their ears are blocked, lest they should hear, and so on. In fact, this quotation from Isaiah is the most quoted in the New Testament. And it's most often quoted in the case of Jewish people, where the uh, emphasis is to them, or the thrust is to them, is, you know, you hear what we're saying, but you're not really listening and understanding. You're not seeking together and understand. And an example of this is Paul's life. Uh, We find the book of Acts, it records that he gets to Rome, and he gets the Jewish leaders together. So it's not just when Jesus is preaching. He gets the Jewish leaders together. And we read, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And they came, and from morning till evening, he talked to them and expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them from, about Jesus from the law and the prophets. Some were convinced. Others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul quoted Isaiah 6, 9, and 10, and they realized he was getting at them, they didn't really want to hear. And then Paul goes on to say, I'm going to tell this to the Gentiles as well. So that's the, that's the context here. Bottom line is, what Jesus is saying, the two truths here is, I'm going to tell you some new truths about the kingdom of God. But I want you to search for the understanding in this. I want you to find out, not just listen to what I'm saying. I want you to search for the understanding. You know, I think it's possible when you read those verses, though, that if you look at that, you sort of say, well, hold on a minute. Verse 15 from Isaiah that he quoted, or verse 15 quoted that bit in Isaiah, but it sort of implied that, you know, Jesus is actually deliberately speaking in parables so that the people won't understand. And, well, uh, that's not the case. Jesus is saying, I want you to understand, but you've really, most people won't bother taking the time to understand. They'll hear God's word and they'll walk away from it. And sometimes when God's word is preached, isn't that the case? People hear God's word, and likely these leaders of the Jews in Rome, when they heard Paul say something that they didn't like because it challenged them, it challenged their lives, uh, they walked away and they didn't want to hear it. And yes, there is a possibility that having been encouraged to turn to Christ for salvation, to repent from sins, that many men and women, time after time after time again, will turn around and walk out the door and not take notice or heed of what God is asking them to do. A couple of weeks ago, Alistair Beggs, when discussing the repeated willful sin that Hophni and Phineas were doing and the fact that they had been asked to desist on more occasions, made this point and he made this statement and it struck me. He said this, God can justly make sinners deaf to the call of repentance when that call is rejected time after time after time. And that's why we're encouraged not to have hard hearts and reject God's word. The day may come 
when that appeal will just go right over our ears altogether. Surely this passage then is a warning about how we respond when we hear God's word. But going back a little bit, Jesus actually finishes that little bit of explanation in this about why he speaks in parables with a big word of encouragement to the disciples right at the very end. He says, look, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. You know, he really says, look, this is amazing. You, you've come to hear and you're, you're wanting to understand and I want you to be encouraged. You're going to be blessed because you've sought out the understanding here. And then I want to, let's move on to the third portion of scripture, the actual parable explained. Now before I, I, I move on to this, um, it's important to make this point. Jesus does not explain all his parables. In this portion of scripture, in Matthew 23, there's seven parables. Jesus only explains the first couple of them. So, but there are, a, there's a sort of a general truth that runs through it. If Jesus makes an explanation, it's not for us to make anything different from it. We've got to try and stick to the, the facts of what Jesus is saying. And secondly, one of the, often the explanation will help us understand the rest of us. And it's especially true of this group of parables, because all seven of these parables actually have their, at their core, something and information about the kingdom of heaven. I said Matthew majors in this. He, he, he talks a lot about this. And uh, this is what these parables are about. So then let's read the, the last portion together. And uh, then we'll consider a few things from it. And it's Jesus explaining to the disciples what the parable is all about. Here then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of God and Oh, sorry, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures it for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the curse of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what is sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So really here it's it's fairly, it almost appears relatively straightforward as Jesus explains this to the disciples. It's almost like, ah, right, see what you're saying here, Jesus. I get the picture. There's a, a man out sowing seed and uh, yeah, I can see that where he's sowing this path is really hard and it's worn down and that, uh, you know, that, that means that, you know, I can see that. And then there's other parts of the ground where the seed, yeah, okay, I can understand that. And, and really, you know, I want us then to, to look at this passage in just a wee bit more detail. And we need to think, first of all, is, you know, what the picture of the sower sowing seed and what the seed is described as here. The, the seed's described as the word of the kingdom. We'll come back to that in a moment. Mark simply describes it as the word, and Luke calls it the word of God. So let's think about that and think about the sower. Let's think about the seed. 
And then, of course, at the very end, Jesus explains the types of soil that the seed falls in. So let's think very briefly then, first of all, about the sower. And in this context, obviously, the sower is Jesus himself. Jesus has come with a message, uh, the gospel of the kingdom, as we're going to see. Uh, In fact, Matthew 4, 17, the beginning of Jesus' uh, ministry, we read these words. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the sower, primarily here, is Jesus and Jesus' words. But of course, in the context of the totality of the portion of Scripture that we've read, in the context of the totality of Jesus' explanation here, we can also see that there will be others who sow that seed. That the disciples, the apostles, will also pick up Jesus' words and they will continue to sow the seed as well. And then, down through the centuries, all those who've been motivated by God's Spirit to sow the seed become sowers. And that can include us as well. So the sower, yes, it's Jesus, but it is also all of those who sow the seed of the kingdom of heaven. So what is this seed? I think we need to think a wee bit about that. And that's why at the very start I described it as the sower, the seed in the soils. It's not just about the the parable of the sower. If I were to ask you that, I suspect most of you would say, well, the seed's God's word. That's the way it's described in Luke. But is it simply that? And there's a deeper picture here. More than once I've already mentioned that this is the secrets of the kingdom. So there's a broader picture here. It's not just simply God's word. It's God's word about God's kingdom. God's word about God's kingdom. He tells the disciples, Jesus tells the disciples, they're being informed about the kingdom of heaven. They're being informed about the kingdom of God. And the parables, uh, the rest of the parables down, the pastor looked at a couple of them uh, a few weeks ago, and he, he talked about how important it was to grasp the riches of the kingdom that you didn't want to lose out of the pearl that you know you'd sell everything to own that one pearl or the treasure that's in the field that you buy the field to get the treasure you don't want to miss out on the kingdom of God and that's what it's about and you know as as Jesus was explaining this to the to the disciples they were probably thinking initially well they had this picture of the kingdom of God it's an old testament picture the idea that the messiah will come and he'll set up his earthly kingdom and all, their, uh, all those people that rule over them will be thrown to the side. They'll have freedom. Their new king will be the king of kings. He'll be the king in the line of David and it'll be an earthly kingdom and Israel will be great. But now Jesus is explaining new things about the kingdom. And uh, after we've studied this parable together this morning, it's worthwhile just going and reading the whole chapter and looking at all the things Jesus talks about the kingdom. Because this only is one part of it. And this parable here, it seems to be, it, it's telling us about how this kingdom of God, how, how people become citizens of it. How it's going to be populated, how it's going to be established. We're going to, further down the chapter, we'll see how it just spreads out through the whole world. 
But this is the start of it. This is about this parable about the sower, the seed, and the soil. It's about how it's going to be populated and the types of people that'll be in the kingdom. And we need then, because of that, we actually need to, to, to think about this, the seed. Yeah, it's the word of God, it's the word of the kingdom, but what is that message? What is that word? And, and I guess to find the answer, isn't it best we always just stick to turning to Jesus himself? And the answer that Jesus started out, we've already quoted one of the verses, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In chapter 11, verse 20, we read, Then he began to denounce the city where most of his mighty works has been done because they did not repent. In verse, chapter 12, verse 41, we read, The men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it because for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So fundamentally, the message of the kingdom here, the, one of the basic messages, of the, it's, it's this need for repentance. The need to realize that we are separated from God by our lives, by our sin, by our selfishness, and that we need to turn back. We need to repent and become citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And that's the seed. There's a broadness to it as well, because in verse 23 of, of chapter 12, we, we, we are... Uh, we also read, or chapter 4, we also read, he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So while the basis is to become a citizen of God's kingdom, you need to repent, there's more to it. There's more about the benefits of being in the kingdom and all the wonderful things that are associated with being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he evidenced, Jesus evidenced that by the coming of the miracles that he performed. A couple of weeks ago, Paul Montgomery made this point on a Sunday evening. We are compelled to share the message of the gospel. We are compelled. People need to be saved. People need to repent. People need to return, turn from their sin and find Christ for repentance and for salvation. Because one day, everybody will bow to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, when we fully realize the extent of his kingdom. So today our sowers still need to sow the word of the kingdom. The book of Acts ends with this testimony about the Apostle Paul. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Maybe we don't feel up to the task. Maybe, you know, maybe we're a wee bit discouraged at times. Maybe we think to ourselves, but I'm doing my best. All, all I'm trying to do is to, to sow the seed for Christ. I don't see any harvest from it. Well, here's what one commentator said, and I'll read this to you for your encouragement. We cannot make the seed. Here in this book is the seed already made. We do not have to make them, nor can we make them sprout. The Spirit of God does that. We cannot make them grow and mature. We cannot bring the gentle dews and the rain and the sunshine. We do not have to puzzle our minds over the mystery of the Spirit's work. Let our anxiety stop with our, in our responsibilities. What is the encouragement? Well, if I cannot make the seed, God can. And there's plenty of it. I cannot give an increase. God can, and he does it. I cannot regenerate men. 
God can. I cannot sanctify. God can. I cannot tell how it sprouts or how it grows. There is a mystery in the work of the Spirit of God. But God does his work through the sowers and the seed. Well, I guess at this point, and it is coming nearly time, my time's nearly up, and I just want then to think finally of, uh, and briefly about the soils. About the soils. Uh, when we think about this, I, and most often when I must say, when people have talked about this portion of Scripture, this is the, the part that they've focused on. And I'm just going to remind us, because Jesus has already explained them, and I'm just going to go over that again. It's straightforward, and we can easily picture what Jesus is saying here. There's four types of heart response to the seed, the Word of God. As that seed is sown, it'll find no growth at all in the hearts of many people. It doesn't even get the opportunity to take root. You know, Jesus uses the phrase, hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, simply really underlines what I said earlier, doesn't it? That uh, people need to take time to understand God's word and to find out what it's saying. And people, by and large, sometimes just don't. And Satan seems to be involved here as well. He seems to, you know, take every opportunity to snatch away the word that's being preached and being said. And before it takes root in people's lives, the second type of heart response that we see is short-lived growth in some. They receive with joy, uh, but then they just fall away because of trouble, trial, persecution. And then the third type of seed that we see sown is, is the seed that it gets mixed in with other thorns and other things choke it out. And it, it represents, doesn't it, the type of person who, who really becomes a you know, they, they, they give their life to the Lord and they're enthusiastic and then all of a sudden, well, my job takes over, I'm too busy and, or uh, I know I'm, it's, it's football night tonight and uh, football on Saturday and uh, football on Sunday just to, and, and then I have to keep fit for the football so that's training on Monday and Wednesday and, yeah. and all of a sudden something else takes over and serving God takes second place. Limited growth. The hearer's faith is really limited and affected by its relationship with material possessions and other cares of life. But then there's the fourth seed, isn't there? The one that produces into fertile soil, falls into fertile soil and produces fruit. And that's the reality of the kingdom of God. Now look, there's theological things we get debate about here, about the types of people that are represented. That doesn't really matter. Because what Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God, which he had brought in, the kingdom of God, which we'll find out later, is, is different from this earthly kingdom that the Jews thought about. The kingdom of God is made up and will be populated through the sowing of the seed. And then we'll know something more about the kingdom and all its reality when Jesus returns as we look forward to that day. So let's just then really um, just remind ourselves then of the the points of application and, and, and the things, three things as we finish and what the parable is teaching us. And the primary one is we need to listen to the message of the word of God and listen properly and find out about what it's meaning and how it affects us. We need to understand it. We need to respond positively to the message of forgiveness of our sins and salvation that we can find through faith in Jesus. 
And secondly, as Christians, we need to take time to carefully study God's word, not just read it, but to study it and understand what it's teaching us, apply it to our lives, so that we can share that as seed with others. And thirdly, we are in turn to sow the seed of the kingdom with others. You know, there's lots of verses in the Bible that illustrate the, this business about the seed. One of them is uh, one that was in a, a daily reading that Geraldine had a, a week or so ago. It's Psalm 126, verse 5, and I was going to use it. And I'll use it, but I'll also use something else. Those who, it's Psalm 126, 5, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Joyce Mayer's uh, daily reading based in that says this. Our days in the kingdom of God are like seeds scattered on the ground. We must continue to sleep, rise, night and day, while the seeds that we sow through our words and deeds sprout and grow and increase. Most days are full of excitement and some days are more difficult to endure than others. But we can learn to enjoy the ordinary and the challenging days of our lives. As the earth produces first the blade, then the ear, and finally the full grain in the ear, so can our lives produce a great harvest from faithfulness in sowing righteousness. May God help us to do that day after day.